happy Thursday to you. This is Brandon Busteed, president of University Partners at Kaplan, and welcome to our latest Bold Leaders in Learning episode. I'm excited. I've got uh, a friend that I think, uh, a friendship that started on LinkedIn and, uh, and has evolved to uh, opportunities where we've been able to connect at various conferences. And um, in any event, I'm delighted to have Jeffrey Moss, the founder and CEO of Parker Dewey with me today. Uh, Jeffrey has been leading a, uh, a campaign, as I will call it, to uh, introduce the micro-internship to the world. And, uh, and I would love to maybe, Jeffrey, just have you start with a little bit about your background and tell us about Parker Dewey so people have a good sense of what you're up to. Thanks so much, Brandon. I'm real honored to be here. Um, so my background is actually a little, little interesting for someone to be on your podcast because I don't come from the education world. I was an investor in technology and education for about 20 years and saw challenges associated with the college to career transition, that students were having difficulty landing that first job or that summer internship if they didn't have the right academic pedigree, major family connections, GPA, and at the same time, companies were having challenges, that they were all recruiting the same students from the same schools and finding that during the first year, 55% of them would leave or they were trying to drive and enhance diversity, equity, and inclusion, and, and they were having difficulties doing it. And what we recognized about five years ago was the emergence of the gig economy created what was a pretty unique opportunity. That as companies were continuing to accept that project-based work could be done outside of their four walls, we said, why not apply that to college students? allow companies to use college students to execute these short-term projects, but also to help them from a campus recruiting perspective, almost like a mutual test drive, which what we found over the past five years leads to not just more equitable access for college students, but also much better hiring outcomes for companies. Yeah, well, as you know, I've, I've been a huge fan of what, what you're doing and, and what you're building. And, uh, and you certainly touched on a number of the really big challenges in, in what we're dealing with with higher ed, but also in the broader kind of talent development pipeline. There's, there's many facets of this that are broken or at, a, at least not working well. And this is a topic that, as you know, I write about a lot. You know, you've got, um, in, in many respects, the largest critique of U.S. higher education is that students are just simply not work ready. And that's a lack of long-term projects. It's a lack of work-integrated learning experiences, not having had an internship, or if they did, it wasn't necessarily one that was uh, connected to the kinds of things they were learning, or they weren't given the right type of support or, or feedback or coaching or mentoring. And so just tell me a little bit about the structure of a micro-internship. I and mean, I get the idea of kind of the, the gig economy form of an internship, but just give us a sense of how it works for the typical student, how it works for the typical business, and, uh, and then we'll, we'll, we'll kind of dive into the conversation from there. No, that, that's, that'd be great. Um, a micro-internship is a little bit of a misnomer because we're not trying to replace the 10-week on-site summer experience. You're not trying to replace the full-time role. Micro-internships are essentially short-term paid professional projects completed by students on behalf of companies. So short-term, meaning they take a college student anywhere from, say, 5 to 40 hours to complete, not per day or per week, but in total. 5 to 40 hours do a few days to a few weeks out. Paid. So the students are able to generate income. On average, micro-internships cost companies about 400 bucks. Companies set the price. 
the student paid. On our platform, the student gets 90% of that, um, which is again important. That 10% covers Parker Dewey's cost of having the student on our books. So for companies, it makes it really, really easy because you're not 1099ing or W2ing. The student's actually a contractor or an employee of Parker Dewey. Professional. So these are projects, not walk my dog or wash my car, but projects that are similar to what you would give to a new hire right out of school or summer intern. Think market research, content creation, data analysis. We need someone to help us write an article. In fact, one of our clients early on described the types of projects we do is the we shoulds and the I shouldn'ts. Hey, we should really write this article on blank, but who has the time? Or I shouldn't be spending my Tuesday morning going and doing this kind of research. While it may not be the best use of time for a busy professional, for a college student, it gives them the opportunity to demonstrate skills, but it also gives them the opportunity to explore different career paths. And then we've seen these projects used across department, across industry, across company size, both to get the work done, but also to help fill that recruiting funnel. And one of the things I just wanna add, because it hits on your last point, when we talk about students not being job ready, I, I sort of take issue with that. There's certainly some number of students who aren't job ready and we need to do more to prepare them. But oftentimes people assume that when we have this comment about students not being job ready, it means we should vocationalize post-secondary education. The reality is there are so many students who are job ready who are getting missed by the current process. Because when we talk about job ready, it's not necessarily the student knows how to use Excel or the code in Python. It does the student have the analytical thinking, the communication, the problem solving skills, and so many of the recruiting processes don't capture those competencies in the student. Meanwhile, they are honed in a post-secondary environment. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, uh, when, when, you know, when I think about uh, work ready or the lack of work readiness, right, there's, there's, there's a number of facets. Uh, and there's some areas where higher education uh, is in fact doing a good job, or at least, you know, many of them um, feel that they are through the, through the lens of some of these things that, that we all like to kind of refer to as critical thinking, skilled communication, collaboration, teamwork, right, cultural understanding. These are the things that are kind of the, the underpinnings of, a, of a, you know, the liberal arts or a liberal education, certainly underpinnings of what higher education uh, likes to espouse as its value. And I think you've made an interesting point there where, you know, we're not, uh, this is not a suggestion to simply vocationalize things. That said, right, we're grappling with a couple of really difficult facts. One, this is, th this current 18 to 24 year old generation is the least working generation in US history. That is, they've just had the least experience with work in general. So it doesn't mean they're not work ready necessarily or work capable. They've just had fewer reps, right? They've had fewer at-bats, if you will, mm -hmm. and, and just less exposure to the world of work where there's certainly a lot of things they can pick up in that experience, the soft skill understandings, right? Certainly some specific skills that might be more uh, you know, specific to an industry or, or whatever it might be. But then the other fact is that you know, internships, the way we've traditionally thought of them, whether we call them co-ops or internships, obviously there's derivatives of this into the apprenticeship model, there's just very few college graduates that get them. It's less than a third from the Gallup research I was involved with. So yes, am I a massive fan of internships? Definitely. But it's a scalability problem. And I think you guys are also yeah. addressing that. Like at the end of the day, you've also created a model that's much more scalable 
that still gives students really meaningful experiences. And you're right, it's not the 10 week internship, but, um, but I assume some of your students do multiple uh, micro internships with you as well, right? Yeah, I mean, look, you're hitting on, this is why I always love talking to you, hitting on so, so many different important issues. First of all, the, the students who have the best experience on our platform, to your point, aren't just doing one micro internship and getting a full-time role. What they're doing is five, 10, 20 of these micro internships to really hone in on where their interests are. Do I want to work at a big company or small? Do I want to do marketing versus finance? If I like marketing, do I like content or marketing analytics? So they're really using this to hone in. And they're using it, one of the students described it as job dating. And at first I was a little like, eh, I don't know. It went on to say, no, look, the summer internship, the 10 weeks experience is like an engagement. It's a deep dive. The full-time role is like marriage. He said, but we never have the opportunity to, to date. And I pushed back. I said, well, what about info sessions? What about all of these? He's like, that's not dating. He's like, those are the job boards or the, um, the dating sites. It's swiping right or left. He goes, I want to go on a real date with a company. I want to find out what that experience is really like, not necessarily just for 10 weeks, but let's have a single date. And if we like each other, then we can do that deeper dive. And I thought it was a really important point. The other thing that you're bringing up, which I think is vital, is the fact that traditional summer internships are not scalable. And they're not scalable because student... It, it, Students only really have one, maybe two opportunities to do them because they are so, ten, uh, so long at being 10 weeks. Yep. How can you provide opportunities to have multiple experiences before you jump into that metaphorical engagement of the summer internship? And the third thing to my earlier point, I think when we talk about students being not job ready, especially in the popular media, the assumption is, well, should we get rid of that philosophy degree or that history degree? And I don't think either of us believe we should. Where I think there is a tremendous opportunity for improvement is to help the students better understand those crosswalks. How does a philosophy student understand that he or she is honing skills in communication and problem solving and the ability to craft an argument and then demonstrating those skills to an employer through whether it's micro internships or summer internships or whatever. And how can we bring that into the classroom, that appreciation for those crosswalks without taking away academic freedom? Yeah, and I, I, look, you and I definitely agree on this, right? Well, our advice is not take away the philosophy major or you know, the, everybody loves to pick on the philosophy major, of course, but um, you know, that, that it's more about how do you get the best of both worlds, right? So I've written exactly. many pieces about the both and instead of the either or, you know, this is not the liberal arts and, you know, versus careerism. It's, you know, how do you get uh, practical work experience combined with the richness of, you know, a, well, a, a college degree, right? Yeah, I mean, look, there's a reason we named the organization Parker Dewey. It's Francis Parker and John Dewey. It's about experiential learning. I mean, that was a conscious decision, but also, I mean, Kaplan's partner in Purdue University has done a great job with the Cornerstone program. I mean, David Rheingold and Lori Sparger with the Cornerstone, bringing the liberal arts and those other degrees together, to your point, because it's not either or. We need people that are educated both with those core skills and the ability the, the ability to learn how to learn. Yep. And, and by the way, this resonates with employers and, and hiring managers in the marketplace. One of the 
I've been involved in a lot of fun market research from my Gallup days, from work that I've been leading at Kaplan. One of the one of the studies we did last year, we were asking people um, of the following three graduates, right? Knowing nothing else about them, who would you be most likely to hire? And the options were really straightforward. It was a, a graduate who had a bachelor's degree in English, one who had a bachelor's degree in cybersecurity, and one who had a bachelor's degree in English with a, a certified ethical hacker designation in cybersecurity, right? An industry recognized credential. Yep. And you know, the first two were just an English degree in the cybersecurity, cybersecurity booming field, right? So you'd think more people would pick the cybersecurity major of the English major. That was true. We saw that in the data. But the English major with the cybersecurity designation was four times more likely to be picked than the English major alone and three times more likely to be picked over the cybersecurity major, right? And what that says to me is English is not the problem, right? The English major is not the problem. It might have a bit of a branding issue, right? But when employers look at that and they go, wait a minute, I can get an English major with a, you know, a, an industry recognized credential. That, that kind of thing just kind of jumps off the pages or off the LinkedIn page of their, of their resume, right? And so I think, you know, what you're doing in terms of giving them multiple experiences in the kind of micro internship framework builds that, right? That can be a philosophy major just as easily as it could be a business major. And it's similar to a lot of work that Kaplan's doing now around what we call credigrees. And it's just the idea of partnering with universities to help them add industry recognized credentials to students who are getting their bachelor's degrees. Now they come out with both yep. a bachelor's degree and an industry recognized credential. One of the questions we've got from uh, the audience um, is from Barbara Thompson, who's, uh, who's asking, it, it, it's, I think it's a, it's a fun question, but there's some practical reality to it as well. She's kind of getting at how do students market the fact that they've done all these micro internships. She said, how do students do 20 yeah. micro internships and fit all that on a resume? So how are, how are you guiding students with portraying the experience they're getting? Yeah, it's a lot different than it was five years ago when no one knew what a micro internship was. What we're seeing most of the students doing right now is on their resume, they're listing the micro internships as individual bullets underneath the headline of Parker Dewey. So Parker Dewey micro intern would be the job title, and then they'll have three, four, five different bullets outlining the various projects. So did a competitive analysis in the flavored water space on behalf of a CPG company, drafted an 800 word article that was shared on social media around X, did a uh, social media content count. And they'll lift those experiences. And what's neat about it is, first of all, it helps the student demonstrate those competencies to the prospective employer who's looking at the resume, it also shows so many of those other skills. So the student who has taken the time throughout his or her four-year academic experience to work on a number of these projects demonstrates grit, desire, all of these skills employers are looking for. And the last thing that we keep on hearing from the employers is it also minimizes the risk of attrition that the student who did that career exploration before accepting the summer internship or before accepting the full-time job is going to be less likely to have that grass is greener issue that's going to cause them to job hop. Right. And I know you guys have some great stats around this about what percent of these students end up going to work for an employer that they did a micro internship for. You know, the dating analogy, as you mentioned, it might, might be a real good one because it's helping to forge 
relationships that uh, that are likely to stick longer because of what you just mentioned, right? So tell me tell me about some of the outcome uh, metrics. I know uh, you know you guys have have published a yeah. number of those, but I think it'd be helpful for the audience to hear the efficacy around this. It's really impressive. It's pr yeah, it's pretty incredible. Um, 98% of the students who complete micro internships stay at the full-time job upon graduation at least a year, which I think with the 55% attrition rate of all recent college grads, we feel really good about that. Over 96% of them, uh, of students who complete micro internships are professionally employed upon graduation, which again, compares pretty favorably to the 47% under an unemployment rate. And the number I'm really proud of is over 80% of the micro interns selected come from underrepresented populations. And that was one of the things that was most interesting to me is would we always see the student from the Ivy League school with the 3-9 and the traditional background getting picked over that first generation student? Um, and we've actually seen the opposite where companies who have recognized, even before the current situation, have recognized the need to enhance diversity, equity, and inclusion, both for social reasons and business reasons, are using these projects as a way to get to know students who they wouldn't have otherwise met, either from certain schools, backgrounds, majors, whatever. Yeah, because you've broadened the platform of students that they have access to, right? You, know, you mentioned at the beginning, the traditional employer recruitment model was visiting a campus for, you know, career, you know, fairs and, you know, formal campus visits. And most employers, even the largest ones, you know, they, they couldn't visit more than 50, 60 universities in a given year. So what happened was they were just recruiting from the same exact places well, year over year. And even at those schools, I mean, we had a conversation with one of our university partners, a big state institution, and they were saying, yeah, we have a ton of recruiters coming but they're all recruiting the same 20 or 30% of our students. And so how do we, and, and groups like the University Innovation Alliance have done a great job helping the employers go beyond that same 20 or 30% to drive that real diversity and inclusion. Yeah, I, you know, I'm not surprised that you're seeing, you know, the, the, the yield and the, you know, the uptake in, in students from underserved communities and backgrounds participating in it. You know, that's one, been one of the big critiques of the classic internship model, right? It's who you know, what kind of connections do you have, right? And if you don't have that social network, it's a lot harder to do it. Oh, by the way, if you can't afford to, get to do, a, do an unpaid internship, you know, you got to work, right? Like, yeah. so, so this model, the students are getting paid. They can do essentially as many or as little projects as they want over time. Uh, you know, the employers are getting a, a, a bigger look at a broader set of students. And and so I think, you know, there's, there's a lot to be said for that. You know, it, most of, correct me if I'm wrong, most of these opportunities are ones that students do remotely, correct? I mean, has that always been the, the, the basis of most of it? Yeah, so pre-COVID, 98 or 99% of them were remote. In the COVID environment, it's obviously 100%. This is not, and that's one of the interesting things. I mean, what we've seen over the past few months is not a pivot in anything we've done. This is the same stuff we've been doing for five years. The big difference this year is that companies are continuing to recognize that the on-campus recruiting process just isn't gonna be possible this fall. And they're very much looking to this form of experiential recruiting where they can build authentic relationships with students in a remote environment um, as being pretty, pretty important, especially this fall. Yeah. And I, so I, obviously that that leads in a little bit to where I was going to go. You know, you you guys were obviously making great progress pre-COVID, 
Uh, and, and to your point, almost all of your students were doing remote forms of work for these employers. You know, I keep hearing critiques all the time of like, well, you know, we're really limited with what students can do or what projects we can give them with its remote. I mean, I don't, I mean, if that was a perception before, my guess is that's quickly disintegrating, right, as a myth about this. Yeah, uh, it, it certainly has. I mean, the financial services area is a great is a great one in particular where they were just very averse to remote. And as soon as their employees all went remote, I can't tell you how many calls we got from the financial services companies. Um, yeah, it, it's broken down a lot of those barriers. And look, uh, neither one of us have a crystal ball, but um, what what where do you think this heads uh, once we've I don't know, let's hope we have a vaccine and, you know, we find a way to kick this pandemic. Uh, you know, do you, do you think that this is going to continue to just be the new normal? In other words, remote-based work, shorter-term gig-type projects. Uh, you know, this, it, my opinion is it's here to stay, but I'm curious what, what your view is about will, will it become a new normal or is there, you know, a short-term wave that, that is being ridden right now? Yeah, I think there's two parts to your question. With regard to the end of offices and people all working remotely and, and gigs replacing jobs, I'm actually pretty negative on those things. I think there's too much benefit to employee-employer relationships. I think there's too much benefit to the informal interaction that takes place in an office. I do think we'll see more organizations that were just bright line test on having anyone work remote break down those barriers, but we're not going to see the offices go away. With regard to campus recruiting in particular, I do think that the silver lining of the current pandemic is that the old traditional ways that companies recruited college students will go away. I think because the university recruiters this year, starting with a blank slate, there will not be on-site career fairs. There will not be on-site info sessions. There will not be these opportunities to engage students with chicken strips and frisbees at events. They need to find something new, and they're increasingly relying on this experiential recruiting through micro-internships. What's great is, as the outcomes have shown, better hiring outcomes, better diversity, better retention. And I think even pre-COVID, I mean, we've spoken with so many both university recruiters and universities who said we would get rid of the career fair if we could, but no one was willing to make that decision. What we've seen this year is you have to get rid of it and throwing the term virtual in front of it just doesn't solve it. Right. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I mean, the, uh, you know, to think about where, where does the workplace go, but to your point about, you know, on-campus recruiting and the way that, you know, recruiting has been done traditionally, it needed to change long before COVID. COVID, I think, is going to accelerate some of the changes that um, are going to be an improvement in the overall grand scheme of things, right? There's some things that have, you know, been damaged, uh, you know, irreparably by this pandemic. When it, when it comes to thinking about career services, career readiness, some of these pathways, right? I think we're going to see better models emerge, which is, which is really exciting. One of the other questions we got is a little bit about um, the supply and demand, right? Are you seeing any differences in supply and demand? More students seeking these online internship opportunities versus more employers? Do you have a mismatch? I mean, are you able to fill the student demand, or is there more employer demand for students? I'm curious how that's uh, how that's shaking out right now. Yeah, um, we definitely have more student demand than employer demand. So while we've seen, I don't know, 5x growth over the past few months in the number of micro internship opportunities, um, maybe the student growth has been 7x. Um, and again, order of magnitude. 
Um, what that means from a student's perspective is maybe they applied to three or four or five micro internships and got selected for one or two. That number's probably a little bit higher right now. Um, but we're starting to see it shift back quite a bit as companies are starting to try to figure out what they're going to be doing this fall with recruiting, they're doing some pretty large programs. So some of these, again, large companies are saying, we know we're going to have a thousand seats to fill for our summer internship program next year. That means between now and December, we're going to need 3,000 micro interns working on projects. And that sounds like a big number, but when you remember that these companies have tens of thousands of employees who would all be happy to offload a project to a highly motivated college student, it's actually not that big. And even better, what our data shows is somewhere between a 40 and 80% cost savings in the cost per hire relative to the current model because you've taken geography off the table. You're not right. spending money on flights. You're not spending money on hotel rooms or hosting events. You're actually putting money in the students' pockets through these micro-internships. Yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's another big thing that I hadn't immediately thought about, right? But you really are taking geography uh, off the table, much like, you know, thinking about remote work takes geography off the table. Yeah. And, um, you know, there's still now challenges with how do you, you know, I'm thinking about it now as we hire new people during a pandemic, like, you know, we're doing a lot of this on Zoom, like, you know, there's, there's there are going to be real challenges with how people build well, you know rapport and relationships yeah. but uh but yeah i mean from a work work perspective if you've got a defined project and ways to evaluate that project those are things that are you know geography uh neutral so it opens yeah. up a whole world of possibilities i mean lisa noble from colby up in maine has talked about that quite a bit that they have an incredible alumni base an incredible group of employers but there's still some employers that the math doesn't make sense for them to be on site in maine recruiting this breaks that down or if you think about some of the hbcus that have just smaller employment or smaller enrollment numbers the other thing that's been really interesting to your point about nurturing and building relationships, we're seeing a lot of companies have students work on five different micro internships with five different hiring managers. And what that's doing is it's letting the student build these relationships with five individuals in this very authentic setting, not the artificial cocktail hour or campus recruiting event, but a very real sort of work for, workplace relationship building that lets the students develop it, which leads to better conversion, but it also allows the companies to better assess those skills across a variety of different areas. Yeah, and so tell me a little bit about the, um, you know, how, well, uh, before I ask that question, interesting point you just made me think about. So one of the one of the pieces of advice I've given to college students who are thinking about, you know, where they want to go work and, you know, what, you know, what they want to do is um, is that the, the the most important criteria they should evaluate when they're thinking about a job is who they're going to be working for, who their manager or boss is going to be. And when I say that to like college seniors, they're all like, what? Like, you know, they, they, they're like, that's your most important piece of advice. I'm like, yeah, because most students will take a job thinking about how much does it pay, right? You know, what's the, you know, is it a, is a well-known brand. brand, a prestigious company? There's all these factors going on. How many weeks vacation do I get, right? They'll get into the picky details of the benefits package. And I say, you've missed the most important factor, right? Which is whether you have a really supportive manager who's going to invest in your development or one, on the other hand, who isn't. So your point about doing micro internships with multiple managers, not just multiple companies, gives you that sense of, 
who do you like to work for and why, right? And those are things too that students don't necessarily have a lot of experience with. So I, yep. anyway, that's a that's another completely example. And, and by the way, it's a great it's a great point you made, and completely agree. It's all about the manager. We've all had managers that were wonderful who took us under the wing and and coached and mentored, and we've all had ones that weren't. Yeah. We got a couple other good questions uh, that are that are probably quick ones for you to answer. They're related. Cheryl Garrison's asking about whether Parker Dewey hires high school students for micro internships, and Ricky Green's asking whether you have micro internships uh, focused on uh, veterans. So curious what you're what you're doing on that front. Yeah, high school students we do not. And what we found was, first of all, you have to be over 18 for a number of just legal reasons. Secondly, when the companies are thinking about the value proposition for them, with college students, if they're used to hiring interns, if they're used to hiring directly out of college, they know college students can add value. And they know they're one, two, three years away from being a full-time employee. With high school, that value proposition starts to break down. It becomes more of a philanthropic effort. We are working with a number of high schools where we've opened up our micro-internship library and best practices to them so they can bring in sort of those philanthropic um, organizations to coach and train and teach micro-internships in the class. Um, but we're not involved in that other than just opening up the library and making it available to them. With regard to veterans, we've seen a huge percentage of, um, of veterans involved in micro-internships, um, especially those who are, again, pursuing degrees. UMGC has been a great partner um, with that in particular, along with a number of other colleges and universities. And again, veterans are particularly interesting because they have those core skills, even if their major was not one that sounds like a job title. They know how to problem solve. They know how to communicate. They have the grit. Yeah, and you would think, you know, somebody who knows they're going to be transitioning from the military, what a great thing to be able to, you know, kind of try on a few different industries and projects through, you know, through the model. Uh, you could do that, you know, conceivably pre-transition, during transition, post-transition out of the military. So I, I, I think that's a great example. I'm glad, uh, glad the question came up. And I'm curious, too, um, you know, on, on, uh, on this, this point of feedback, right? Like we know students getting a lot of valuable experience. Tell me a little bit about how the feedback works between a company and a manager, you know, who obviously they, they must evaluate the, the yeah. product that the student produces in some form. What, what are the mechanisms around that? I'm curious. Yeah. So after each micro internship is done, the manager can provide feedback takes the manager two minutes. We wanted it to be simple enough that they would actually do it, but also detailed enough that it added value. Students are rated on six criteria, things like presentation skills, communication, et cetera. Um, it's funny, we started off with a star rating, but had an Uber issue where everyone was getting five stars. So we changed it. The students are rated on a scale of as expected for an intern or new hire above, below, or oh my goodness, executed like an industry veteran. Um, and we found a lot more nuance in the feedback that way, which was really good. The student gets the feedback so they can learn from it. We're able to share it with our university partners so that they can both coach students one-on-one, -on -one, but also understand if there's opportunities or gaps within programs where our students are doing really well in this area, but have issues around this. We need to do more coaching and preparation, um, but we don't share that feedback publicly. There is no public rating on the student because we want this to be an experiential learning opportunity for the student, not something where they're rated and if they make a mistake, they sort of don't have any opportunities going forward. What we've also seen is north of a 98%, 99% success rate 
on projects, meaning students have exceeded expectations. Because even though they're getting paid, they're not doing it for the month. They're doing it to prove themselves, to get in the door. They appreciate this opportunity that the companies are giving. Yeah, that's amazing. Well, I'm glad I asked about that because I think that's one of the you know really important parts of this that it's not just the you know the the hands-on experience. There is a lot of feedback going multiple ways from the you know employer to the student back to the university and you know who might be supporting the student from that end of things. So that's certainly a you know a critical part of it. Um, so Jeffrey, I I uh, I really appreciate you taking time to to join us today. I know we could keep going for a while. We're already over our our thirty minute slot, but I would love to um, make sure that we uh, we have you back on the show next year and get an update on all the things that Parker Dewey is up to. So uh, so thank you, sir, very much, and keep up the uh, phenomenal work. Thank you. Thanks for inviting me, and uh, really appreciate the time and appreciate all of the important work you're doing. So thank you for that. Thanks so much. Have a good rest of your week, everybody.